because she's a young nerd. And he's an old punk. Welcome, Welcome to Young Nerd Old Punk, the podcast where Kelly and I participate in a subcultural exchange because she's a young nerd. And Tim's an old punk. <laughs> This week's or this episode is kind of our book episode. We exchanged books this time. We were supposed to do this probably nine months ago. I've had this book for like literally two years, <laughs> yeah. so it's some weird. I think we only decided nine months ago that this is how you would actually pick the book up and read it. I think this actually could end up being a contentious episode because Kelly and I have basically put ourselves in a position where we're asking the other to critique our heroes. <laughs> eh. I mean, Hank Green is very popular on TikTok, so. He's more popular amongst this disc golf group as much as you talk about him. Yeah. Oh, I can tell you now. I love Jeff Ott, so... (laughs) I'm sorry. I I am not ashamed to admit that he is a hero. Anyways, Kelly, give us that synopsis. So, I had Tim read An Absolutely Remarkable Thing by Hank Green. It is a book from 2019 about... A girl named April May and her friends finding a random robot statue in Manhattan. They become YouTube celebrities, and there's an infectious dream going around to figure something out. And the book kind of goes about figuring out that something and what's going on. There's also some, like, conservative political stuff that occurs as well. It's There's a lot of elements to this plot, but it's... There is. Yeah, no, it, it was hard to kind of come up with this because... It's a strange one to tie together without being, like, completely spoilerific and just saying, hey, this is the exact book. Like, exactly. Unless, like, I can read it to you if you like, but that <laughs> seems odd. Uh, you know, it was an easy read. I think I finished it in, like, six hours, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, around that amount. It took me, like, two nights of reading. It was nothing. I like the idea of the basic random person being the first contact with an alien. Because most time in these stories, outside of, like, E.T., humanity makes contact through a spaceman or a fucking research scientist or a government official. So kind of seeing what it would be like from just random person on the street. I, I like that. The main problem I have with the book, though, is pretty much all of the characters. <laughs> Which, that's rough when you have to read a book. To be fair, to April May herself, at the beginning of the book, she does basically tell you, like, all right, you're going to walk away from this. You either understand me or you do not like me. Mm-hmm. Like, so at least she gives you the warning that you're not going to like her. Uh, her specifically, she's the one that makes first contact, basically. Yep. Uh, she calls her friend, and he's sort of the secondary, but she's the first one to see what is known as the Carls. At every point in the book, it felt like when she was confronted with a decision, she would take the most selfish option every fucking time. Because she was thrown into fame and was going for it. Starting with calling Andy in the middle of the fucking night to bring his camera out. Like, fuck you, don't wake me up to come see some fucking statue. The first quote about the book on the back says, you're immediately going to want to be best friends with her. And I couldn't disagree more. <laughs> so she has the cast of friends in the book. There's like Andy. Is it Maya? Yeah. Uh, there's another one in the there The research too. lady. Yeah, what is her? The, like, Miranda. 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 She also meets the president. She also has an agent. The woman president. Yeah, that's true. A female president. And then there's... Get woke, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's also her publicist Her personal guy. assistant yeah. publicist, yeah. Uh... Actually, I'm going to say this. Outside of the personal assistant, other than he does her dirty at one point in the book, he honestly does. I don't want to spoil her too much. Her her cast of friends in the book aren't great people either. 
And they pretty much, they kind of push her into this. And no one ever steps in to say, hey, you might want to slow this down a little bit. Because obviously, from her, from her perspective, things have gotten out of control really fast. But no one steps in. Maya kind of plays that part in the beginning. But then she leaves Maya. Just straight up like, well, I'm famous and I'm back and fuck you. Later. <laughs> yeah. We just moved in together and actually moved in together, but sorry, like yeah, that. sorry, you're stuck with that, the fucking full rent now. But that's what bothers. There needs to be a counterbalance character that, at some point in this book, said to her, "Get your shit together," and that never really occurs. And that actually made me feel somewhat sympathetic to the April May character. There's a point where I think it was Miranda talks to her in the book and kind of. I think she had come to her, like, talking about how she, everybody's fucking turning on her as far as her friends. And she's like, well, at this point, you're either somebody's hero or they want something out of you. Like, that's an excuse for her to have lost all these people. No, they were, you all were just garbage the whole time. Uh, it does build itself pretty hard as being a sci-fi book. It, it's kind of not. The sci-fi portions, except for maybe, what, maybe the last five to six chapters, it kind of hits hard near the end but overall, the sci-fi is the background story. It really is her rise to fame as a YouTube star mm-hmm. that the book focuses on. And, you know, I think Hank Green, or is it John Green? It's Hank. It's Hank Green, I thought so. Hank Green pretty successfully ca- captures modern media as far as, like, this is why modern media is fucking stupid yeah. throughout this goddamn book. Once they kind of figure out that it's aliens, because I, I think they figure out once people start having the dreams, right? That they're like, oh shit, this is more than just some fucking statues yeah. that showed up. They at least do something like not of Earth, which would be aliens, yeah. but. She kind of becomes the, uh, oh, maybe they're here to help us. And then there's the, they call him a right wing commenta- commentator, I think, on the book in mm-hmm. the description. It's kind of accurate. I don't know. Yeah, I guess right wingers would be like, well, let's not fucking take any chances these guys are dicks let's blow them up the jonah jameson <laughs> yeah pretty much that's true and you know hated him too <laughs> didn't like him at all but that is exactly what the role is in the book itself yeah. like you're supposed to hate this guy so i kind of just at least it was an honest character because she kind of portrays herself as like a paragon of virtue and it's like no you're not man you're kind of an asshole uh kelly mentioned the dream the dream puzzle thing that idea, as far as a sci-fi thing, was really interesting. Uh, basically, they you kind of need the whole world working together to figure out some of these puzzles. Yeah. Like you might, you would need in some of these configurations for the puzzles the aliens have sent. You would need like a chemist, someone who spoke French, and someone who understood like I don't know samurai culture. Yep. Like you would need those three people exactly to figure out these puzzles. So that was pretty interesting. It kind of sucked that it ends with basically these two, Peter's tribe and April's tribe, kind of competing, trying to destroy each other. Yeah. They're fighting basically an online proxy war. And Peter's followers end up tricking April into thinking that they have solved the puzzle first. At least is how I took it. Yep. So, I mean, that plot line I did, I found that pretty interesting. It was it was tough for me to score this book. I really, honestly, I did not really enjoy reading it at all. It only took me six hours because I was kind of rushing. Though I did slow down near the end. When mm-hmm. it got a little more sci-fi involved, I did slow it down. I did kind of hate all the characters altogether. Yeah. I could have probably... They could have shortened the YouTube stardom for me. But then you're at, what, a 150-page book? Because it's not a very long <laughs> no, book either. Long. It's like 206, 226. It might be a little longer than that. So if you want that part... And that that's the thing, too, though. It's annoying, but 
that's kind of where parts of it green really captures how media works. I just think that part went on too long because I liked his commentary on media. But, okay, yeah, we get it. Media sucks. So, like, <laughs> yeah. We, we all know that. Like, let's get to the fucking aliens. I can see where someone else would absolutely love this book. So I went with a two out of five was kind of where I landed because it is a, a very well-written book. Just the characters, I did not care for them. Yeah. I think something that this book really does kind of echo is, so Hank Green has been on YouTube for freaking ever. And in the very beginning of YouTube, these, like, communities were formed and these, like, weird relationships were formed. Like, nothing inappropriate, but, like, is April May your friend? Right. No, she's a random person on YouTube. But do you know, do you feel like you know everything about them? Yes. Do you? Absolutely not. So it's just kind of that idea and knowing that, which as knowing so much about Hank Green because of his YouTube, TikTok, he created VidCon, he created 2D glasses. Like he's a jack of, of all trades. I kind of assumed that he had sort of put his experience in rising up through YouTube in the book. Yeah. But that it was probably a little more dramatic than what he experienced. Oh, absolutely. Like, I'm sure he probably did fuck over a few friends, or he was a dick to people a little bit when he first became famous. I mean, it's going to go to your head a little bit, right? Absolutely. But I don't think it was extreme as what he put in the book. Yeah, that's fair. No, I am not surprised by how you feel about the book. I personally love it, and the sequel I really enjoyed as well. I kind of figured there was a sequel because of the way the book ends, oh, yeah, which the- I'm not going to spoil, but... <laughs> Because of how it ends, it's the like, there was a sequel, sequel to this, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel, too, I am closer in age to all of the characters. I would say I didn't love I any agree. of the characters. Like, I also grew up closer to YouTube celebrities. You did. Like... I, it wasn't... It had YouTube had no effect on my, like formative years yeah, of no. any sort yeah there was a point you were talking earlier before we were recording about being like a hipster because you never really watched tv <laughs> yeah there was a period I, i've mentioned that it wasn't by choice it yeah. just so happens i don't there was a period between like 2008 and 2010 where i did not listen to the radio i listened to music created by youtubers so i may have known the parody song to this song we're listening to but i did not know the song gotcha so i really like yeah it was very part of my formative years that's a good way to be like youtube was my life for way too long (laughs) i used to watch like 10 different youtubers a day so yeah that is Tim's feeling on a beautifully remarkable thing. Oh, no, I was also going to mention, just just real quick, I think everyone should try the book. If you get about midway through and you're not digging it, then just drop out. It's okay to not read a full book, in case you guys didn't know this. Why didn't you tell me that? No, for, for, well, you had to read all of this book. <laughs> but in general, like if you pick up a book and you're just not into it, you can just drop it. I didn't realize this for years. I had to finish every fucking book. No, you can just stop. It's great. Do you know about the sunk cost fallacy? No, yeah, I do. And that is exactly what I was practicing until, like, well, no, I'm only an hour into this. Like, I can drop out now. Good, because then um, I could, somebody who knows nothing about economics, just not have to explain it on the podcast. (laughs) Look it up. It'll explain it better than I can. But it applies to everything, not just economics and how much money is spent on something. So I assigned Kelly, apparently two years ago, (laughs) maybe only nine months ago, (laughs) To read My World from Jeff Ott. 
Uh, the books are just basically a collection of Jeff Ott's zine of the same name. Uh, he was the lead singer and guitarist for both Crimshine and Fifteen. The book book is sort of about his homelessness, his drug addiction, his activism. There's kind of a dark area there. I kind of feel like Kelly will expand on it, so I'm not going to talk about it too much. Uh, I discovered this band in my early 20s, in my formative years. <laughs> and they have been an influence on, I mean, honestly, my moral compass to this day. Uh, there's so much that he talks about probably a little less in the book compared to how he portrays things in the songs that, you know, it, it just guided me. That's just how it works. So, feel free to continue to stomp on my hero. <laughs> <laughs> so, I wrote it, like, I jokingly called it a book report. It's literally a page front and back that I typed up. But I'm not reading it, don't worry. <laughs> so, the book starts with Jeff just being like, these are the topics we're touching on. And go. And... So the subtitle is A Rambling of an Aging Gutter Punk. Yeah. And I will say, at times this does get pretty rambly. It does. But. It's very, it's stream of conscience. Yeah. In it's a, a lot stream. Of things. It's yeah. exactly how I write, though. I'm like, I didn't love it, but that's exactly how, like, I put words onto paper. The first chapter, technically the second chapter, jumps into um, discussions about murders of two men of colors, Gerald Hall and, I'm going to butcher this name, Kon Chung Kao, who were both um, killed by police during encounters. And I feel like this section is the main reason Tim wanted me to read this book, because we discussed it before. It is. It's why I lent it to you. Yeah. When I first lent it to Kelly, it was a time where she was very involved in Black Lives Matter. Not that you're not now, no, but I was just... the movement itself was a little bigger as far as the actions yep. being taken. And I thought it would be sort of inspirational for her to kind of check this book out. Yeah, because it really resonates with the fact that, like, the George Floyd protest, the BLM protest over summer of 2020, like, they've been happening for years. Yeah, exactly. And it's so... You, you said I was going to get mad, and I am mad. Like, yeah. A lot of this book, and I'll most likely come back to it, is that it's all shit that's been a problem for years. And because the book was published in 2000, but it looks like, based on some of the stuff that this was written between like 92 yeah, and 96, like 97 ish. Mm -hmm. I, I think I pre ordered it in 99 because it's in one 99? of the few things in my life that I pre ordered. <laughs> Did you get the DLC? <laughs> it didn't exist at the time. <laughs> and then the next chapter is about like... Oh, I, before you move on to the next chapter, you know, I didn't really think of it as inspirational in an anger thing. I thought of it more be inspirational in a, uh, okay, I'm continuing the fight sort oh, no. of situation. Definitely, but it's just like, for everything else the book mentions that nothing has changed, I'm like... Uh, yeah, it is infuriating. Just screaming into the void. And I honestly think they may there was a ton of progress made even then mm -hmm. not nearly enough obviously but it just kind of tabled off and it's not improved since then that's yep. kind of how i feel about it so yeah the next chapter is about like jeff being homeless and like discussions of some of the house communities he lived in like and um it's really cool because like i personally have never experienced like true homelessness right and it's really interesting because a lot of the times, like, the homeless are really demonized and othered in our society, and it really kind of gave life to the people he lived with, the communities he created and lived with, which is just really cool. There's also discussion of Food Not Bombs, which is a charity that Jeff ran. I'm not sure. Uh, like a local chapter. Yeah, something. it's a local chapter. Yeah. And, um... 
Which is kind of cool because he both, like, experienced being homeless, but also while homeless and also after the fact really advocated for those populations. Yeah, he'd been there and seen it. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I don't think he breaks, I don't think he gets into ages too much in the book. But he was singing about being homeless in Crimshrine. When he first joined Crimshrine, he was 12 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And I did I did kind of chapter-by-chapter synopses, but I'm just kind of skipping around. The next chunk are, like, two Q&A... Well, it's not the next chunk, but there's two Q&A-type interviews. Right. One is with a man named Peter, who is HIV-positive. Okay. And in, you know, 92 to 97, one, people wouldn't even, like, talk to someone who's HIV-positive, let alone give them the time to interview. I think I would sort of disagree probably around 96 through 97. Okay. Prior to that, yeah, you were ostracized and, like, no one, like, oh, I'm not getting near that person. And it still happens all the time, but I don't think as far as, like, an interview setting, and especially Jeff Hyde. Yeah. Yeah, wouldn't give a shit. No, absolutely. And it was really kind of interesting to read because, like, at that time, AZT was the popular drug. It was, like, the only. Yeah, well, yeah, not the popular. It was the only choice. And that was killing people on top. it, It wasn't great, and it was expensive as fuck. Yep. Yeah. So just being able to get that person's, like, perspective and understanding, because, like, it's not something, especially outside of, like, specifically LGBTQ-related history books, it's not something you usually get. And uh, Peter, I believe, was a gay man, but it's still, like, that wasn't the focus of the conversation. Yeah, no. It was about, like... What was the... uh... Was he also an intravenous drug user? It's been a long time since I read this drug. So. I know he's, you know, he's very big on like clean needle programs. Yep. Nope. We'll get to that too. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other interview was with his daughter, and I didn't love it. It was cute because it was with his kid. Right. But it was over AIM, which really was like blast from the past. <laughs> oh right. But um, it's kind of interesting. Again, just this is going to be a repeating theme. He asks her at one point, do they talk to you about HIV and safe sex and drug use in school? And she's like, no. And I'm like, I grew up in a pretty conservative area, and we were essentially just told, like, don't have sex till you're married. You'll get STDs if you have sex, period. I mean, our sex ed classes were, they slipped it in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Or you could use condoms. I mean, it was not the focus but of the, the message. I had a class that you would not get an A on your project if you did not include the sec- section. The only 100% way not to get XYZ I mean, yeah. STD is through yeah. abstinence. Yeah, they concentrated hard on it. Not true, because you can be born, you can be... Well, yeah, it's not 100% true, but that kid in the class learned about it now would have already had it. Yeah. they were born with it. But that also then, like, demonizes that child. And it's also not an inaccurate message. Yeah. It's the only... Tr- but the other methods are 99.9. Let's not go fucking bragging. Yeah. And then there was the sexism section, and I did not love it, partially because it was the ramblings of a white man discussing right. sexism. There was also an interesting chunk... But also, it was a mid-period... It was in a period where... Only so many women were allowed to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, and nobody... That's a thing I should it's acknowledge. It's still not right. I'm not saying it is, but it also is a time frame where if he didn't say something about it, there was probably only, like, one girl-fronted band in punk rock yeah. that was able to talk about that's it. That's true, and there weren't a lot of platforms for the people who actually should be talking about it to be talking about like and we have now. I'll be honest with you. Matt and I, on our music-based podcasts, 
I have talked about how, you know, looking back now, how sexist like punk rock really was during that time, even though we thought we were a little more enlightened. We were probably a little more, but we, we had our problems. Mm. And then there was a discussion, it was a section by Cynthia Ott, which I believe is his wife, just based yeah, on the I last so. name, <laughs> yeah. um, about how bras cause breast cancer. Oh, yeah. And I'm very confused by that. But it was, I found it an interesting section because for some reason, physiologically at the time when I read it, it makes sense. Like, well, yeah, man, if you just let them hold themselves up, it'll be fine. But also, that doesn't make sense <laughs> yeah. now. It was, like I said, it was a little younger and dumber then, but at the time, it was like, you know what? That kind of makes sense. But also, it's from a zine from the mid, early to mid nineties. Like yeah. we can, I'm sure they did not have. They had Google back, and not in the early to mid nineties. But like, when they had access to Google, it wasn't as easy to find everything. Yeah. Oh yeah, it would have been like secondhand knowledge, and she heard yeah. about, it and she probably thought the same way I did. Like, well, you know, that kind of makes sense. Yep. Like, if I didn't use a bra, and then maybe they would hold up on their own. The last chunk of that chapter is about um, women having a sex strike due to motherhood being a job that doesn't pay. That's kind of like, oh, you're a stay-at-home mother. Right. And um, Which still don't get paid for. Yep. Being just a thankless job at times. And I find it really interesting because there's been a lot of, with the Texas stuff that we won't even get into going on, there's been a lot of talks about, like, the only way we're going to change people's mind is through a sex strike. Uh, yeah, it's come up. I've seen, I've seen it. it multiple yeah. times, and, like... I run our Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Also, just kind of interesting that, again, same type of things are still echoing. Yeah. Then we get to the government section, <laughs> right. which is not what I expected to be about government, but it was a very interesting. It was about... Judy Bard and the Earth First. Oh, yeah, the Earth First bombings? Yeah, first bombings. So, kind of the... Yeah, I killed the fuck out yeah. of those people. <laughs> I was going to say, so, so Judy Bard and her husband were in a, I believe it was husband, boyfriend, man, guy. Yeah, I think it was just more that. It was kind of loose. You know, yeah. I don't think it was They like were hippies. <laughs> yeah, basically. They were involved, injured in a car bombing. The FBI originally, like, blamed the Earth First people. Which, oh, they were labeled as terrorists. Because they were labeled as terrorists to prove that they were, like, demonized. But a lot of the research and stuff that has been done since shows a lot of... There's no person who has been actually, like, tried or anything for this bombing. But there's a lot of evidence that the FBI was likely involved with this bombing. Even now, I googled it. I was, I was about to ask, did you dig deep on that one? Because yeah. when I read it, I could have maybe searched online. I opened up the Wikipedia page. Right on. And it's just really interesting because there's still, like, protest leaders are still being demonized for having yeah. feelings that the big government and the people that be don't Well, the craziest part is they're going this hard at an environmental organization. Yeah. That like, was mostly peaceful. What? Yeah. What the fuck? Who gives a shit? Let them fucking go plant some trees. Yeah. I mean, I, that sounds very dismissive the way I just said that. I mean, I do believe in preserving and protecting our environment. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It but was just more the ridiculousness of that's, that's all their cause is. is like, hey, yeah, let's make some more nature. They were groups that were into doing, like, um, large, like, marches that would block roads and stuff, which the powers that be don't tend to love, but it it's lasts harmless. for a half fucking hour. Shut the it's fuck harmless. Up. Yeah. I once 
my horn wasn't working to honk in agreement with a protest and I was like, oh my god, I look like an asshole. I have to turn here, but I'm actually like into this, I promise. Yep, I thought about that too a million times. Or I see it too late, like, oh shit, yes, I'll support unions. I'm not fucking crazy. <laughs> I'm not actually mad. I just really want to get home. <laughs> but I get, like, the reason we're doing this. Yeah. But um, the next chunk is about STDs and bloodborne infections and symptoms. And it goes on for a while. It and does. it's like different ways you can get this STDs and bloodborne. Straight up trying to give you as much scientific informa- or medical information. And since this was published... To save yourself. Yeah. The book itself was published in 2000, but these are from zines from the 90s. Yeah. Where else would you get this info? Like, you a would. textbook? Yeah, no. You like, wouldn't. and you wouldn't because they are so in-depth. I mean, you could go to the library, look up a medical yeah. manual like he probably did. Yeah. And it acknowledges, like I was saying earlier, you know, that people can be born yeah. with some of these. And this ties back to his homelessness, too, because he was watching people he was on the streets with die from STDs. Mm-hmm. And he was just trying to, and he knew that's who, I mean, that's who was reading it, mostly. So he knew he was, you know, like, I can save at least two. Yep. Yep. There's also a diagram on how to use condoms, which is, again, something that I don't know if in the 90s you could find that in a textbook. I was never actually taught how to do that. No, they don't show you that. They don't get a banana out in the classroom. No. And there was, the one thing that I did not, but again, this is from 2000, was there's a very descriptive explanation and then picture diagrams on how to use needle bleach needles yeah, to reuse to them needles. and knowing what we know and i'm honestly this comes from a huge place of privilege one never having been an intravenous drug user and two if i was i think at least at this time i'm in enough that i could buy new needles or access new ones but i'm just like it's essentially like they, if you have to reuse them this is how you should do it but don't reuse them yes because it was incredibly difficult to get needles to without a prescription. There weren't clean needle programs. Yeah, there yeah, weren't none of that existed yeah. then, so it, this was the best option because he knew he knew these people most likely were not going to stop. So it was a good idea. I mean, like yeah. it would be better if you just stopped using IV dr- or intravenous drugs. I mean, it only took me six years to figure it out, but no, I've never used intravenous drugs. <laughs> but that's the thing. It was just like okay, we have to stop dying from STDs. Yeah, let's. Do what we can. Yeah. yeah, I just thought it was really interesting, though, because it's just like, this makes me uneasy just for the fact, like, what we know in 2021 mm-hmm. and also that, like, in general, there's programs that exist, there's ways to access that are not ble- literally just bleaching oh, a needle. Oh, yeah, these people were ignored and just let to die. Yep. Um, so we made improvements there. There we go. And then I'm just going to skip ahead to the most impactful section of the book to me. And it was the discussion, it was the collection of stories about a 14-year-old girl named Blythe or Lauren. Um, And she passed away from a drug overdose at one of the houses that Jeff stayed in. So, like, at 14, I was, you know, riding my bike to the pool and watching cartoons. So, like, just imagining a 14-year-old who... How do you even end up there? Ended up there... Exactly. She essentially ran away or was allowed to. Her mom's story wasn't very super clear on that end. Um, And she was just doing whatever at 14, which led to using drugs and ultimately her death. Jeff actually, like, took the time to reach out to her mother. And her mom has a really decent-sized section of this chapter about, like, her daughter. And it really... 
like I said before, like a lot of like homeless people and drug users are really like demonized, but this just really like, this was a girl. Like this wasn't a woman. This was a young yeah. girl who ended up in the wrong place. Yeah, just something went wrong. That's all it took was like one thing going wrong. Yeah. And it's a really interesting section. And after this chunk, I realized I really, really enjoy the sections where the things are not written by Jeff Ott. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the ones that are I the collaborative that. stories. The co- yeah, I can see that. I'm surprised you didn't bring it up. Maybe it's not in this book, and I'm just misremembering because of all the fucking stupid interviews and everything I've, I've read from this man. Does he not talk about the time he committed sexual assault? We are getting to that. Uh, okay, I thought, I thought you just said this was the last thing. No, no, thing no. This is the second. I was skipping about okay. laws. Gotcha. I was like, we're getting to that. So the section <laughs> okay. about rape. And so we're going to start with the positives of this chapter. There's like eight different pages of crisis lines per state listed out just as right. like a resource to contact for help. Which I'm sure is incredibly valuable when the zine was published and when the book itself was published. Because you can't find... It's hard to find that stuff in 2021. Yeah, right. But then we go into the fact that Jeff admits that he had raped a woman in his late teens. But... So at first I was like, okay, no. Cancel culture. But then I kind of like reflected upon it. He was, he said his late teens, so he was 16. As Tim mentioned, he'd been homeless most likely on and off since he was 12. Like 12 or 13, yeah. He was a drug user, which he's now, to our knowledge, clean from and had been at the time of this being published. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think still to this day. Yeah. yeah. He... I still occasionally do a Jeff Ott search. There's less and less news about Jeff Ott. Yeah. <laughs> he, in turn, realized... It doesn't really say that he, like, realized how fucked up it was, but he realized how fucked up it was and felt like he needed to put it on paper and be like... Also, in the... That would have been maybe the 80s? Uh... When he was 16? I don't know. Let me think. Psalm in 96-ish, I think? God damn it, Kelly, making me do math. 18, I think they were, like, 26. Yeah, it might have been around 80s. Yeah. So, like... Although it doesn't excuse the action, culture was just different then. You know, I've always come away from that chapter reading it that he makes a few too many excuses for himself. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I like that he has admitted the sin. I do feel like he has spent the rest of his life since trying to atone for it. That's exactly my next sentence. Like, not quite verbatim, but that's exactly like, since that time... The way it was written... Trying to give himself too many outs so yep. that people aren't like, motherfucker. Because he blames the media and he blames the times, essentially. Yeah, that, you know, it was just excusable for men to do that. And I disagree with that time frame that that was completely excusable. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. But since that time, he's gotten clean. He, um, the ch- chapter about trash and veganism, and it's just kind mm-hmm. of. This one's a very, like, stream of consciousness. Yeah, kind of. Um, It's kind of made me realize, like, again, our world's not changed in 21 plus years. The world is still dying because we keep state making stuff. Stuff doesn't go away. Landfills are filling. They literally have a song called Landfills. (laughs) And um, he also talks about, like, quitting drugs and how he did it and why he did it. Right. And there's, like, a nice little... There's, like, two... They're almost poetic, but it's not poems. One of them is the things I lost because of drugs, and then the right. things I've gained since quitting. And it's kind of really good self-reflection. 
And then there's ramblings about being vegan and like how to disable a car, which is pretty fun. And in a zine format, yeah. I'm sure I would have been like, fuck yeah, this is the best part of the book. This is right. the best part. When you're only reading like in a 15 minute, 30 minute span. Yeah. yeah. But towards the end of the book, I'm like, I'm kind of over this. Yeah. Nope. I completely see that. And, go- and then there's parts about God and work. Yeah. And again, nothing's changed in 21 years. Like, overall... I enjoyed this read. It's very, like... It's not long, either. It's a pretty short, quick read, too. I also kind of realized, because we consider these cultural exchanges, as you mentioned, um, Jeff Ott was really, like, important in your formative years, and upon talking about... um, Hank Green, yes, was very important, but that book and a lot of the, like, themes and stuff in it were very important in my formative years, like, obsessed with YouTubers and all that kind of stuff. So it's just really interesting that, like, it was just overall a good read. It was an easy read. At times, it was... It can be heartrending. Yeah. Yeah. No, the some of the sections, I was like, oh, my God. Because he doesn't hold back on that kind of stuff. Like, he, he kind of paints the most, like, this is almost <laughs> this stupid comic book reference, but, like, some stories would handle it more in a pre-Frank Miller world situation. Whereas Jeff Ott is, he's Frank Millering this shit for you. Yeah. Like, he is telling you what this was actually like and not fucking sugarcoating it anymore. But in some of that, some of the areas of the book, that's so important, though. Yeah. Because it's like... Oh, it is. Let's, yeah, no, I, I think Trails, that's how it should work. Like, let's tell how this actually was so people can envision it. Let's not romanticize living in these, um houses with others a house that nobody actually has any property owned for just squatting and 12 of you fucking stacked in 12 feeding each other communally like and there's so many times so like my favorite musical is rent so that's a really romanticized in rent where they're squatting in a building and Mm -hmm. doing doing their lives living free living free and it's really romanticized and i know that Right. But it just it's kind of nice to see it from the perspective of, yeah, it was kind of cool. We have this cool art on the walls. Yeah, but there was some fun, but this is a fucking pain in the ass. It was a pain in the ass to manage. And also, somebody passed away because of our negligence. Like, even though rules were attempted to be established, and people just steamrolled through those rules, because turns out when you have 12 people in a house... Right, yep. Rules don't... Get, don't apply. Yeah. Overall... I didn't really think of a number. I think I'd give it three out of five mohawks yeah. or whatever. No, I think yours is pocket, pocket protectors. protectors. Mine is out of mohawks. So, well, that's not bad. Three yeah. out of five. We're kind of hitting an average. At some point, we'll do another one of these. Actually, we delayed this one so long because we thought it was funny <laughs> that we because we've never done these the way we ever planned them. No. Uh, I have no idea what's up next. No, me either. All right. Well, see you well. next time for some cultural exchanging. Well, Let's go disc. <laughs> Please follow us on Twitter at Frisky Discs. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. That is friskydiscs at gmail.com. If you want to send us bullshit. Not literally, which would be impressive if you can do it through the email. Actually, send us bullshit. <laughs> if you can get it through the email, we will we accept your, your bullshit. Yeah.